0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Monday, October 3rd, 2016 from Slate. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesco. Wow. A shocking, just a shocking international development. No, I'm not talking about Kim Kardashian West getting robbed. Though that was a full segment on the BBC today. Beyond that, I went to the BBC's website. They have like six stories on it. There's one reference to The FARC, which is actually what I think is the real shocking international development. And it's uh, in the BBC and other languages, their Spanish language service. The ABC website right now, nothing about the FARC. There are gigantically prominently as Kim Kardashian West. CNN, here are the top stories. Post-debate, Clinton takes lead. Trump military suicides happen. Kim Kardashian held at gunpoint. And then how do you sell $10 million in hot jewelry? There is no Columbia FARC reference. So we know where our priorities are, but not here at the gist. And by the way, how did the robbers ever get the drop on Kim Kardashian West? How could they know the location of the notoriously secretive Ms. Kardashian West to have that fall into the wrong hands or to have her set her Twitter or Instagram settings to public? Yeah. Sympathies do. I'm not making light of what she went through. That does sound like a frightening ordeal. But here's another one. The referendum to end the Colombian civil war went down to defeat by slim margins, Colombians opted out of a FARC zit, or maybe they entered into a warg zit. Anyway, the FARC rebels, fifty years, fifty years they've been fighting in Colombia, a quarter of a million people killed. You may have heard, as I did, that the referendum was a done deal. It was going to get ratified by the public. We were told that polls showed the referendum was passing handily. I did some research. Indeed, some polls did show that, but others had exactly the opposite. Like, here's a headline from a month and a half ago. New poll finds overwhelming majority in Colombia vote. But it noted that this one firm, Invermer, said that 67% would vote in favor of the referendum to have peace, and only 32 opposed. But this was in contradiction to an Ipsos poll that showed that Colombians were divided. And then there was another poll cited that showed that Colombians were almost exactly evenly divided. So to recap these headlines about polls showing overwhelming majority voting for it, some did, some didn't. This may one day gain the mythology of the Brexit vote, where we hear now that the polls missed it. Actually, most polls got it. It's just that the quote unquote experts missed it. Another difference with the Brexit vote is that most of the no votes, most of the people who wanted to keep the war going in Colombia came from urban centers, whereas the rural areas were the ones that wanted peace. Of course, it's in these rural areas that the cost of war was the highest, that the body toll was the worst. I do not know exactly what this will mean. All right, guys, plowshares back in the swords, I guess. I don't know. I think that it's more likely that we will get peace if both sides have said to some extent, yes, we want peace to have that thwarted by the man on the street or 50.2% of the men on the street. It just seems to me that peace is the more likely outcome. Who knows when, who knows how. And it's just a reminder that peace and democracy do not go hand in hand. And in fact, they're often two opposite things. On the show today, Trump's taxes. That's the entire rest of the show. I come out with a raging defense I make the case that it is possible that Donald Trump lost a billion in a totally above board and honest way and did nothing wrong except for losing the billion by declaring so on his taxes. And to buttress what will be a spiel, we start with a conversation. I put these questions to a professor of tax law. I think you will appreciate the conversation. If not, the conversation will depreciate over time. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. So now is the time for tax talk. You didn't think that this time would be nigh, but oh my gosh, is it upon us. Philip Hackney is a professor at LSU. For five years, he worked in the office of the chief counsel of the IRS in Washington, D.C. He is a tax expert. Hello, Professor Hackney. Hello, how are you? I'm well. It was certainly an interesting revelation to see what we saw about Donald Trump's taxes, but did he do anything wrong just from the pages that were released?
0: We can't tell that he did anything wrong at all um, from the pages released. Uh, Net operating losses are a pretty ordinary thing. This was a particularly large one, um, but there's nothing wrong with a net operating loss.
1: And beyond that, is it even unethical? I would argue that if you don't allow that deduction, you stymie capital investment. And beyond that, you know, you can't claim that a person made money in one year if he earned $1,000 if the year before he lost $100,000.
0: Right, exactly right. I mean, our our income tax system is based on ability to pay, and that concept of ability to pay is based on what your income is. Your income is dependent upon losses and gains that you have over a period of time. If you have a loss, if you have a real loss that you experienced, um, that reduces your ability to pay, and you ought to have the right to deduct that.
1: Right, and if we didn't allow that, it would really, it would hurt uh, society, it would hurt capitalism, and it would be unfair.
0: Exactly. It wouldn't make sense. Um, so this one is outsized, but it's not out of the ordinary in terms of taking deductions.
1: Does anything in these filings suggest that Donald Trump is a genius? No. That I, and <laughs> you know why I say that. This is what Christie and Rudy Giuliani Yeah, are No,
0: no, exactly. I mean, it, it tells us that he lost a lot of money in business yeah. in the early 90s, there's nothing brilliant in tax planning in this situation. And I doubt Donald was involved in the actual legal maneuvering and tax maneuvering that was going on here.
1: Now, there is the possibility, and Mark Cuban was raising this, that in the 90s, it was sort of the Wild West and uh, billionaires were being told that there are all these ways to show paper losses. Was that true more then than now? And is there any reason to suspect that this might have been going on?
0: There are many reasons to expect that there were opportunities for him to have paper losses here. And there are reasons to believe that some of these things were going on then. Some of this stuff still goes on now. I mean, the, the, the reality of tax sheltering is you're always looking for ways to create paper losses, losses that you didn't experience. The possibility here is that somehow Donald Trump was using other people's money. Other people took real losses, and he got the $900 million NOL.
1: NOL, net operating loss. That is correct?
0: Yes. NOL is a net operating loss. So here's the thing. You're getting basis in things that might be other people's loss.
1: Well, you have to go back because you've lost me. I don't understand that basis as sure. you're using the term. Sure.
0: When you buy a property, if you buy a $100,000 building, um, you get a $100,000 basis. Um, that's super valuable to somebody that's in real estate because they'll depreciate. They'll start depreciating that thing
1: this might be why he buys buildings. He might have said to himself, when I uh, sell this building in 10 years, real estate is such that I'll make a profit. But in the 10 years until I sell it, I can quite legally deduct the fact that the building is getting older by a year and thus depreciating. And
0: Absolutely. And it. you borrow in order to increase that basis that you can yep. take. You don't put your real money into it and you get this basis that is a real tax benefit. Huge. It's part of every tax holder.
1: I am quoting Bernie Sanders in my show, and he says the general line, it shows the ability of rich people to use the tax code that the ability of the little guy doesn't have. Do you think there's anything to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, some folks have been focusing on this. I mean, what this effectively allowed Donald Trump to do is average out his income over a period of time. Little guy can't do that. We used to allow income averaging to people. Um, If you have income that's really high in one year, um, and lower in another, you could average it out so you paid an average of a lower amount. Donald Trump's accomplishing that, and the little guy is not able to do that.
1: I'd like to do that, by the way. That that seems fair to me, but maybe it's not fair to the government. Like at a certain point, you got to say, how long's the average got to be? Of obviously, everyone will shop around for the lowest uh, the lowest rate. The government's taking in less money than it needs. Yeah, I get that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we we did it before. I forget if it's in the 70s. I think it's in the 70s. We allowed income averaging. And the reason we got rid of it was because it was too complicated.
1: One of the arguments here is I agree that everyone will say, well, I agree that the tax code is too complicated. But in fact, at least that aspect of what we're finding out is a result of uncomplicating the tax code. Absolutely. All right. I want to ask you one more thing or one more area of things the corporate tax rate there's a lot of uh there's a lot of criticism of it it's a stated 37.5% but as i understand it very few if any companies pay that corporate tax rate uh is that true and if so why do we have such a rate if no one's paying it
0: yeah, absolutely true. Um, the uh, uh, effective rate is really low. We used to collect a lot of money from the corporate tax, but that's no longer true. It has to do with the fact that uh, corporations uh, are conducting uh, business all over the world. If you are a uh, company that does not rely on fixed assets here in the U.S., there's almost no reason for you to incorporate here in the U.S. You might as well co- incorporate overseas, have your earnings be taking place over there, and uh, avoid pretty substantial amount of tax. Um, I think there is a real play for uh, potentially lowering that rate because of the effective rate that it is, is there. Uh, the Obama administration has uh, considered that possibility. I forget the rate that they were looking to go to. But I think there's, uh, there's every reason to think about uh, corporate tax reform, uh, given how it's currently structured.
1: So why do we have, who, in whose interest is it to have this stated rate of 37.5%?
0: hard to say whose interest that it's in. I mean, I guess at this point, it's largely a political thing, right? I, I mean, think about it. What, what's the highest rate that you can have to pay as an individual? It's like 39%. Yeah. Um, if you have a lower rate, the problem becomes tax shelters associated with um, putting money into corporate solution. Once that rate starts to split apart, people in the U.S. will start using corporations as tax shelters again.
1: I got Um, it. So so, the corporate tax rate has to be roughly equivalent to the highest individual tax rate, or else people will declare themselves a corporation, even though no actual corporations are paying that high tax rate.
0: Absolutely. That's the thing. And the corporate corporate tax arguably is there as a backstop to the individual income tax, because if you don't do that, um, it becomes very easy for people to avoid tax, stick it into a corporation and uh, have your earnings and then take them out in the back end after not paying tax for a long time and you've got your own little pension plan.
1: Philip Hackney, he teaches at LSU where he's a professor of law, five years at the office of the chief counsel of the IRS in Washington, D.C. Thank you for your tax expertise, Professor Hackney.
0: Absolutely. Great talking to you, Mike.
1: And now the spiel. My uncle opened a diner. It went belly up. He lost $300,000. But then the next year he opened another diner and things went well. So in the year after that and the year after that, he made $150,000 in each year. So to do the math, $300,000 lost one year, one hundred fifty dollars in the next two years. How much tax do you think he should pay? How much did he earn? If you don't think it's fair that he should pay taxes, and I don't, Well, then you're saying that Donald Trump did nothing wrong. Of course, we could spin out hypotheticals. What if I told you that some of the $300,000 in diner costs were spent buying the rights to the name Olympian Diner from the Olympics, or he paid exorbitant fees for the top quality phyllo dough flown in from Athens and customers couldn't tell the difference. You might call him an idiot, but still, what taxes should he pay? All the tax experts I've been hearing from, including the one we just heard from, said that on the face of it, ipso facto, Trump did nothing wrong. Now, Bernie Sanders was on the Sunday shows to make a slightly different point. Assuming that it is legal, what it tells you is you have a corrupt
0: tax system, which says to ordinary people, you're supposed to pay your taxes. But if you're a billionaire, there are all kinds of loopholes that you can utilize
1: uh, that enabled you, who may be a billionaire, not to pay anything. It may be true, it may be not, but the Trump case doesn't demonstrate it. And it is true that the tippy-top echelon of taxpayers have a better tax code than the regular guy. Our tax code actually gets regressive at the 1 one-hundredth of a percent. That's a problem, but it's not the exact problem as shown with Donald Trump's three pages of taxes. So Bernie Sanders says the rich exploit tax loopholes only available to the rich. How can you rebut that? It is a hard charge to rebut, especially because there's no definition of loophole. To me, a loophole is an escape clause that shouldn't be there. But I say, and our tax professor just said, that carryover losses should be there, should be there for everyone. It's not a loophole. You know, it is possible that this was only a paper loss. It is possible that there is some chicanery underlying what was going on. But it is also possible that this was quintessentially the proper way to lose a billion dollars. Because when you think about it, what does loophole really mean? In football, is a touchback a loophole? It's a rule. It allows you to get the ball on the 25 if the opposing team kicks it into the end zone. Oh, but some people field the ball on their one-yard line, and they're in a worse position than the people who field the ball in their own end zone, deeper on the field. Yes, I would say that's fair. And it's not just the very fact that it's a rule that makes it fair. I'm saying it's a good rule. Wait, you're saying. I don't understand football. No problem. Is the early bird special a loophole? Some people have to work past 6 p.m. Is buy two, get one free a loophole? It discriminates against the guy who could buy just one. I'd say these things are fine. These things are not loopholes. On his CNN show on Sunday, Jake Tapper held Trump surrogate Rudy Giuliani's feet to the fire, which always gives off a compelling aroma. But in this case, Torquemada might have been a little too possessed of fervor. Donald Trump
0: said during the debate that not paying federal income taxes makes him Smart. Does that mean
1: that the rest of us who don't look for every possible loophole and provision to avoid paying our fair share of taxes, does that mean the rest of us are stupid? Well, no. It just means the rest of us didn't experience gigantic losses. If they had, and if they didn't deduct the losses, that would make them stupid. Now, Giuliani and Chris Christie didn't do themselves any favors by citing these losses as an example of acumen. In fact, Giuliani used the word beyond acumen. He's a genius.
0: I mean, the reality is
1: genius. No, not at all genius. I can prove it's not genius by using another argument that Rudy Giuliani made. He characterized taking the deduction as an obligation. You got to take the deduction to be fair to your partners, to be fair to your family, people depending on you. By the way, both of these things can't be true. It can't be the act of genius. And it also, at the same time, can't be a deduction that absolutely everyone would have taken. You can't be a genius for doing something that everyone should do or would do. But Rudy's right on this point. Anyone would have done it. And anyone should do it. You shouldn't lose a billion dollars. If you do, you should take the deduction. Now, I also think the New York Times should have published it. I think it's fair to give people the chance to evaluate what Trump's losses mean. And I don't think they mean he's a hypocrite. I've seen a lot of tweets of Trump being bandied about how he said that hedge fund managers should pay more in taxes. Oh, what? And he shouldn't? No, because hedge fund managers, he's saying, should pay more in taxes on their earnings. Trump had no earnings. I wouldn't say not paying these taxes, paint them in exactly a good light. I don't think they're a good issue for him. But I think the backlash speaks more to the free-floating economic populism than to a specific indictable offense that disqualifies Trump for the presidency. Now, perhaps you could argue that Trump has so often taken advantage of this free-floating anxiety. He's exploited it. He's twisted it with lies and terrible policy prescriptions that it is a fair comeuppance that he be impaled on the same pitchforks that the villagers have brought to the town square. Fine. But my argument isn't one of Trump getting a taste of his own medicine. It's an assessment of whether the medicine is an antibiotic or an emetic. Trump is so thoroughly disqualified in so many other areas that it might feel good or right to flay him on this one, but it's not right. Righteously lashing out at the menace in your midst might give you a psychic satisfaction, but it's not the fairest way to evaluate political arguments. In fact, it's kind of like something Trump would do. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Chris Berube enjoys publication 547, Casualties, Disasters, and Thefts, Business and Non-Business. Although sometimes when he's feeling daring, he reads publication 547 Spanish, Hechos Fortuitos, desastres y Robos. Just producer Mary Wilson has recently been noting that Fidel Castro did bring literacy to Cuba and that Larry Flint, for all his flaws, has a place in First Amendment law. Although I suspect she's just been reading Form 1040 Schedule R, credit for the elderly or the disabled. Executive producer of Slate Podcast, Steve Liktai, enjoys Notice 784. Could you be personally liable for certain unpaid federal taxes? Or Notice 784 Liktai, could Steve Liktai be personally liable for certain unpaid federal taxes? Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, has an idea for a show, a podcast. It's called 921. Yeah, that's right. It's about consent fixing period of limitation on assessment of income and profit taxes. The gist. We've been endeavoring to make this a Form 970-EZ Schedule L, a transaction with interested persons. Umperu de peru peru, do peru, and thanks for listening.